0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Okay, when a couple is able to have enjoyable conversation, those conversations build up a sense of connection, which is what I do most of the time. And when I sit with people, then my mission is to try to get them to become effective communicators. Communication is the key. If you talk to anyone who's been married for a long time, that's the glue that maintains that marriage. Problems arise when conversations lead to fights and this will, will be dealing with this. Couples defer as to what their communication needs are. Some couples have a very happy marriage with a minimal amount of conversation. They don't need a lot of talking. And some people have a great need for longer conversations. A problem that needs to be worked out is when one party has a much greater need for conversation than the other. Someone really needs to be spoken to, especially women. They really need an an ear. So it's important that a person, needs to, especially the man, needs to be able to engage her and to be able to talk to her so that she feels a sense of sipuk, which is called satisfaction. Here's a story. I tend to be quiet and introverted. My wife, on the other hand, is outgoing and talkative. Okay, the guy is quiet and the woman is talkative. She has told me a number of times that the reason she decided to marry me is because she always felt it would be preferable for her to marry a good listener, which makes sense when I sit down with girls and if they are good conversationalists, most of the time, I'll tell them you need someone to be able to listen to you. You need a good listener as a potential partner. Another talkative person would compete for the right to talk. Like I always say, I don't want to put two pussycats in the room, nor do I want to put two tigers in the room. And especially if the girl likes to talk, so you know you got to give her a center of attention. One of the things I remember is when years ago I was involved in medicine and I was involved and I had a patent that I was that I had dealt with, and I wanted to show it to the foot care buyer at Walgreens. So I was flew up to to Chicago. And he was a, not a, a Jewish guy, it was a tall Irish guy wearing a hockey uniform, Chicago Blackhawks. So he always he asked me a question, he how come I can only find you two to, after 2 o'clock and on during the business day? So I explained to him, I taught in the yeshiva, I told him what the yeshiva is, it's an institute of higher Jewish learning. So he asked me, what do you teach? I said, I teach young men how to behave in marriage. So he says, you got 30 seconds left in, into this meeting, give me your elevator pitch. What would you teach me? And there's four secretaries sitting there, all wasps like him. So I said, Hashem, I need you now. So I said to him, I'm going to tell you what I taught all my guys. Two less, I'm going to teach you two words in Hebrew. Rob, his name is Robert McGeib. I teach my boys that they have to treat the girls Makom Rishon, first place. A girl needs to feel like she's first place, which means she needs to have a listening ear. She needs to know that the guy is listening and imbibing and then can make effective rebound in communication with her. So this lady writes, after we were married for over a year, my wife, this man writes, my, my, my wife began to complain to me that I'm not speaking enough. I need to speak more. Which I acknowledge, I wasn't a big speaker. She still would like to do most of the talking, but she would like to, for me, Shimon, it's time for you to share your thoughts. Time for you to share your feelings. I wasn't sharing my thoughts and my feelings. At least he admits to his crime which is half the battle. Okay, now. I often don't have anything to say and I appear guarded and secretive. I saw that my wife was feeling bad about my absence from the conversation. I personally didn't feel the need to speak but my wife kept insisting that communication is the tool for us to get closer. She's a thousand percent right on that. People who are poor communicators are going to have an issue in terms of the dynamics of their relationship. Since I hadn't the faintest idea of what to do, I spoke to a friend who was an expert in communication. He gave me a number of suggestions that I was able to put into practice. First, he told me I should ask clarification questions. For example, if she tells you that someone she knows got engaged, ask questions like, well, who's the chassan? What does he do? How did they meet? Where are they planning to live? That gets conversation going. That stimulates talk. Secondly, I should tell my wife stories from books she hasn't read yet another one. I always, When people go on dates, I always say to them, have a couple of good stories tucked on, in your pocket. This way you have conversation filler. Not always that you have what to, question after question. You don't, you don't want it to also seem like it's an interrogation. Third, I should listen carefully to the comments other people make when they speak to someone in my presence. This will give me ideas on what I should be able to talk about. Fourth, I should observe things that happen wherever I am. You know, observe, be perceptive. Even when I walk or ride, there'll always be things to notice that are a bit out of the ordinary. For example, acts of chesed that I see, new products in stores, and funny occurrences. So I should remember these things so I can talk about them in in conversation with my wife. And lastly, I should listen to my wife's side of the conversation when she talks to family and friends and acquire the patterns she would appreciate that I should like. So be a good student in terms of being, being cognizant, be aware. Here's another story. My parents were not able to communicate well with each other, and I always wished they could. I hoped to discuss my thoughts, opinions, and feelings, and I was certain that I would marry someone who would feel the same way, that would be open and receptive and communicative like I was. When I was dating, my future spouse and I spoke freely and easily. When I I said good communication is important to me, I was told it's important to me also. Shortly after the wedding, I saw that we had different ideas about what we considered good communication. The statement that bothered me the most was, I refuse to talk about that. When I asked why, I would be met with, I just told you, I just don't want to talk about it. A little bit offensive, but let's see what happened. The list of things that my spouse did not want to talk about grew. I couldn't even talk about subjects that we had been able to talk about in the beginning of our marriage. It started getting narrower and narrower and narrower. Even if they caused my spouse discomfort or stress. What can I do to make it easier for you to talk about more subjects, I asked them. I don't wanna talk about it, (laughs) Was the answer? If I kept insisting my spouse walked out of the room, I realized that I had a choice. I kept, I could keep nagging about improving the communication, which I saw was not getting me any kind of effective result, or I could just accept the fact that many topics were off limits to the spouse. I chose the latter since I saw that it would be the most conducive for Shalom Bayis. While I'm aware that I'll always want better communication, I make the best of the situation by keeping my focus on what I enjoy, And benefit from our marriage, which is to focus on the positive, to really harp on the positive. I hope that one day I'll find a way to influence my spouse to be more open to discussing things. But until then, I'm dedicating to living up to my obligations. When you give a gift to your husband or wife, you are giving more than just the actual gift. You're giving a message of caring. The more thoughtful the gift, the more it will be appreciated, regardless of the cost. So if your spouse wants to give you an affordable gift, don't deprive them of the pleasure, accept it. If you don't really want gifts and you let them give them to you, it's an act of giving on your part and not of taking. There's a whole sign, the whole mechanism there, knowing how to receive a gift and accept the gift. Surprise your spouse every once in a while, while doing something that will make them feel good unexpectedly. An elderly rabbi who was a halakhic authority in Bnei Brak saw a newly married chassan in shul at the morning prayers the day after his wedding. The distinguished posik approached the young man and told him, two blocks from here is such and such a store. Before you go home, please do me a favor, go to that store. Ask for such and such a perfume. Tell them to wrap it with the fanciest wrapping paper they have. Then go home and give the perfume to your wife as a gift. The chasm was shocked that this great person came over to him and made this suggestion. He took it as an obligation to follow the rabbi's directives. When he brought the gift to his college, she was thrilled at such thoughtfulness. A few months later, she was still talking about how considerate her husband was. Motivating and influencing people wisely. There are two basic approaches to take when you say something, when you see someone doing something wrong. One is to speak harshly to the person and correct them. But this approach won't help you. And you don't know how long they'll behave that way and how can you can correct what they did wrong. The approach of the smart people, the wise, is to show people how they can correct what they did wrong. Instead of just trying to reprove them. This is a healing approach. And the only words that are said are those conducive to healing, the Vilna tells us. People who have mastered the art of motivating and influencing others will have a positive influence on the lives of so many people. Some people see that others excel at this and assume that it's a natural talent. But the reality is you can become skilled at motivating people and influencing them. When you have an important message for your spouse before you feel he or she has a major need for improvement, speak with calm insurance. Don't go attacking. Since you might be upset, you have to work on yourself. But the more important the issue is for you, the more you want to ensure that your message will be well received. Speaking with calmness increases the possibility of you being heard more objectively. After a while, if you become a screamer, they tune out. Someone who just wants to vent frustration will speak in the tone of voice that comes automatically. When someone is upset, that distress will come through as anger and resentment may relieve the speaker because you feel good that you got it off your chest. But what about the receiver of that message? How will he react? How will she react? The speaker is working against his or his own best interest by not speaking in a tone of voice that elicits understanding, compassion or any kind of cooperation. Many people say, when he or she sees how upset I am, they'll change. In reality, it doesn't work that way. The person hearing the message feels attacked and guess what? When they're attacked, they're going to go on the counter-offensive and it becomes a slime war. When someone feels attacked, the response is a counter-attack or being defensive. Change is much more likely to occur when you speak in a way that brings out positive feelings on the part of the listener. If you say it in a very refined, distinguished way and keep the tone of the volume down, you have better chances that you're going to get cooperation. A major part of motivating and influencing wisely is to know how, how not to motivate, such as forget about threats, screaming, guilt trips, giving commanding orders, ultimatums, they don't have their place in marriage. These are, there are two ways to open a closed door. One is to break it down with force. This opens the door, but it costs you. You broke the door. The other way is to use a key or press the right buttons on a coded lock. Learn how to push the buttons. Learn how to use the key. And that's how what you do when you want to get someone to listen to you. Nagging someone leads to withdrawing. Nagging can also lead to a counterattack. With nagging, you might even get the other person to take action, but you're going to cause resentment. You're going to cause them to be resentful. Someone who nags will think he or she has a logical objection. If I don't nag, how will I get results? I have to nag to get what I want. This question implies that when one resorts to nagging, the choices are between nagging and not getting what you want resolved. However, anybody who's familiar with negotiation and sales will tell you, that there are more approaches that are far more effective. The basic principle, principle behind nagging is, if I cause irritation by nagging, eventually the person being nagged would prefer to take action rather than continue being nagged. You know, I had this happen today. I needed a favor from my son's former high school principal. And it was something that was going on for a while. My son didn't live up to his responsibilities, so I had to get involved today and deal with this. I prefer that he I didn't but I saw that it wasn't gonna happen from his end and so as a parent I had to get involved. So I said, you know what? I'm gonna write the most pleasant text with lots of adjectives of please and thank you and explain to them. He called me up, we settled it. No confrontation, no conflict, no anger. It's the way it goes. One question someone who tends to neck can ask themselves is when when I have when have I had results Without nagging. If a nagger responds, never, that's obviously inaccurate. If a wife says to a hungry husband, dinner's on the table, the husband surely came to eat. If a husband says to his wife, I put the money on the table for the thing you wanted to buy, there must have been some time when the wife went to get it. Why? Because in both instances, each spouse did not need nagging to get motivated. When someone is angry, he or she must be especially careful of what he or she says or doesn't say. Be careful. For example, when some people are angry with their spouse, they might accuse their spouse of being obnoxious, or selfish, inconsiderate, call them stupid. But throwing these words at one spouse won't improve the situation at all. When a person hears these words, he or she is not going to be motivated to act pleasantly, or considerately, or intelligently towards the other person who is using this language. If you're tempted to use sarcasm, ask yourself, how do I think my spouse will react? By the way, I got a shidduch reference call on Sunday on a boy that I know from Toronto. So the man, of the father of the girl says, can he handle sarcasm? So I said back to the father, I said, do you realize that sarcastic people are a, kat, are a category that the Orach says has no share in Olam Haba? Who would like sarcasm? It's a terrible thing. He hung up the phone on me right away. So I was not in the mood to do with anything like that. What does that mean? Can he accept sarcasm? Sarcasm is a terrible thing. It's an acid that destroys. It's a terrible thing. If you're tempted to use sarcasm, ask yourself, how do I think my spouse will react? In the vast majority of situations, it might up to a little of steam, but at the price of provoking... Anger or resentment. What's it going to accomplish? What's it going to get you? If you want to say something that will motivate and influence the other person to act towards you and give you what you want, sarcasm is guaranteed not to work. How do you motivate someone? Show that person, show him or her, the benefit of doing what you're asking for. Express your appreciation and gratitude, like we have in the Shemone Astra. Chazal were very intelligent. They showed us. How do you approach God? Thanks and praise the first three brachas. Request for what you want and then follow and answer and conclude the Shmon Esr thanks and praise again. Gratitude is the way you start. Express your appreciation and gratitude. The more someone likes you, the more readily they'll do what you wish. The more pleasantly you speak, the greater chance that you will be heard and receive what you're requesting. An important rule of human nature is most people are willing to help those in trouble when asked in the right way. Another important rule is people become resentful If they feel they're being treated without respect and are being taken for granted. So when you ask, express your need, but do it respectfully and gratefully. Some husbands and wives are much more cheerful, friendly, kind and considerate around other people than when they are at home. Terrible thing, by the way. The real you, the person that's, the real who you are, is who you are at home. Outside they say it's Purim Kol Hashanah. You could fake everyone out because you have your costume on. At work, you have to be nicey-nicey because you need that promotion. Socially, you have to be nice because you're trying to get something out of them. Home is when it could test to see the real you. That's the real test of Imuna. What you're like at home. How you deal with your house members at home, with your intimate family members. One option that many spouses use is to act like a lawyer in court. They try to point out to their spouse that he or she is being inconsistent. But this will usually just make that person defensive and not conducive to improving their behavior at home. A more effective approach at home is to gently tell the person that you would love if the same behavior and way of speaking would be applied towards you. You might ask, what can I see or do that will motivate you to treat me the way you treat your cousin? The way you treat your friends? The way you treat your customers or students or strangers? I'd like the same reception. Some people are afraid of using techniques and specific approaches to motivate and influence their spouse because this might be viewed as manipulative. Actually, anything you say or do to get someone to do something for you can be called manipulative. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.